Welcome to The Entertainment Entrepreneur, the podcast for actors, writers, producers, and really anyone working in the entertainment industry with a passion for entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Monica Hammond, a serial entrepreneur in the entertainment industry. Join me as I sit down with Broadway stars, Hollywood favorites, and industry changemakers to chat about their own journeys launching, running, pivoting, and scaling their businesses. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Ken Davenport, and I'm a theater maker. Welcome, Ken, to The Entertainment Entrepreneur. Very happy to have you here today. It is a pleasure to be here, Monica. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I want to start by asking you, as a Tony Award-winning theater maker who has produced and written over 30 Broadway and off-Broadway shows, as well as started several businesses in the industry, a few of which I've worked for, what do you think makes for a successful startup? Well, you know, I'm a big believer that the theater business is like any other business out there. So a lot of people there think that there is some secret magic sauce to the theater industry or a lot of secrets into how theater businesses, whether that's shows or ticketing companies or websites are created. The fact is that one of the first things I learned in my faux business, like grad school, because I didn't go to business school by any means, But one of the first things I learned was that a product is a product is a product, whether it's a show, whether it's a website or a ticketing company or an app or an actor, whatever your product is, it's the same. So the same marketing principles apply, the same startup principles apply. So what what makes a startup successful in the theater industry is what makes a startup successful in any industry. You have to apply those same those same skills. For me, that's a few things. Uh, it's one that whatever you have, that product is exceptionally unique, very different, very special. Can be an actor, again, can be a website that's doing something that other websites aren't doing, or a show that is delivering of some sort of value or entertainment or something about it that audiences have never seen before. That's something that I look for in all my shows. I try to give my audiences something they've never seen. Um, so something very unique. Two, the person who's in charge, right? Like that is such the uh, cornerstone of success for any startup, uh, whether that, again, that's a Silicon Valley startup or a Broadway startup. And, and number three, it's all about marketing. Everything out there needs to be marketed. I don't care what it is. This idea that you can sit back and wait to be discovered, whether that's your script to, oh, just Fall, fell into the hands of the right producer. No, it never works that way. You have to push your shows out. You have to push yourself out, especially if you're a performer. You have to market whatever it is you're trying to build into a success. I'm going off script here, but you have started, how many companies would you say you've started? 147, something like that. It's like 147. And like four have worked. Let's just like the odds are... Um, rare. No, uh, you know, I have a bit of entrepreneurial ADD. I will admit that. Like I will get an idea and then I will make it. Now, the good news is I'm the type of person that when I get an idea, I got to see it happen. And sometimes that's a really good thing. And sometimes that's not. Um, But I am a believer in, especially early in your career, like I've slowed down how many businesses or companies I've started um, over the last several years. But at the beginning of your career, you are throwing lots of stuff against the wall to see what sticks, to see what gets root, right? 
that and and really starts to sprout and flower and all that for not only in terms of success but also in terms of your own happiness. So for a lot of my early part of my career, I was throwing a lot of stuff out there to see not only what worked, but also what I enjoyed the most. So yeah, I started a bunch of different things. And what happens is they all sort of morph and filter and then get really concentrated as you continue on this, what I call the entrepreneurial journey, uh, because that's what I believe theater makers are. They're artists, they're entrepreneurs, and we kind of combine them. So in the same way, it's like your entrepreneurial journey is the same as your journey in school, right? You start out taking very, very basic classes, reading, math, and then slowly over time, you start taking algebra, calculus, Shakespeare, like it all starts to get focused. And that's what I believe happens when you start out on your path to be an entrepreneur as well. You start really broad and then you start to really focus on the specific things that you love the most and that also your audience loves the most. And that's when you have a win-win there. So I believe that artists are natural entrepreneurs. And as a theater artist yourself, a producer and a writer, um, even probably a director, I don't know how you identify yourself exactly, but what qualities have helped you succeed in business? Well, you're right that Look, all artists out there run their own business. They own their own business. Whether they call it a business or not, That they are the CEO. They are the founder of their own startup. They're just representing themselves. And this is something sometimes hard for actors or writers, designers, directors to really understand. But it's something that I think is the key to unlocking a successful career. Like the most successful people all that I know, whether they know it or not, they developed their own business sense. They realized they had to market themselves. They realized they had to develop lots of products, put a lot of stuff out there in the world. They realized they needed a team behind them. They needed support behind them, whatever that is. So uh, yeah, I think by nature, we have to be entrepreneurs. We are thrown into that seat. And then it's a question of developing that as you go. Uh, and really unleashing it onto the world. Um, but again, the most successful artists I know are deep down have these innate business skills that they've then watered and uh, fed over the years that have allowed them to succeed in the business. So over the years, I know you started out, you went to NYU um, for acting school, correct? That is correct. I don't like to talk about that too much because it's a uh... The, the the records have all been destroyed. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Same here. Um, so then I know after school, you, you had many different jobs in the theater industry. So how did Davenport Theatrical come about? So how I created my company is a lesson in how not to create a company. Uh, in that I'm a big believer. Well, look, it, it's it sort of was and it wasn't. I A lot of people come to me asking for advice on how they should start producing or how they should start whatever business they're running, whether it's their acting business, their directing business, whatever that is. And a lot of people rush to the idea of like, well, I have a business. I need an office. I need business cards. I need all these things. And all of that is true. But for producers, especially and for, for some people, it's sort of more true than other. They need an LLC to feel like real. And there's no question that all these things will help you feel more real and focused and all that. But the fact is, 
you're not a producer until you have a show. Like that's it, right? You're not an actor until you're out there auditioning and getting in shows, right? Like you're not doing the thing. You're not a writer until you're writing. It doesn't mean your show has to be on Broadway or off Broadway or anywhere, but you have to be doing the thing. Like just hanging a shingle and saying, writer, that's not it. That's not it. So I'm a big believer in making sure that you start with a product. So I started with shows before I I started my company. I was developing several shows at once, trying to get other shows going. And I my first show was called The Awesome 80s Prom. And I developed it with, I think, 16, 17 other actors in a room at Ripley Greer Studios over the course of three months. And then we had a script. And then over a year later, we found a venue and I was like, okay, we should just put this thing up and we'll do it six performances and I'll market it and I'll sell tickets. And we did. And it went very well. And I was like, well, I guess we should just keep it going. Let me try to raise some more money and flip it into a real off-Broadway production. So I knew I, I needed some legal advice here. So I went to my lawyer and I was like, hey, I got this show. And they were like, well, how have you been doing this? And I said, well, I've just been doing it. Like, what have you been doing with the money? I've been depositing in my own bank account. And they were like, what? And they were like, do you have insurance? And I was like, in in what? I have health insurance. Actually, no, I don't have health insurance because I'm unemployed. So like, I didn't have anything. And my lawyer's face was like, OMG. Like, I could see, you know, lawyers are designed to think in the worst case scenario because that's what their business is about, protecting you from the worst case. So they imagined like people breaking their legs and all sorts of things and then suing me for everything I had or did not have actually at the time. So they rushed to form an official company for me like that day on the spot to protect myself. Um, And yeah, look, I tell people now, do all the company things you need to do that will help you like get motivated, be as official as you want to be. The real like line of making sure you have proper corporate protection is when you start doing things in front of other people. Like that's when you want to make sure you have uh, real legal corporate protection. As a producer, you are certainly known as sort of like the marketing guru, right? It's part of why I have loved working with you and working for you over the years. Um, How did you start out marketing Davenport theatrical? Did you even try to market the company or did it sort of just happen show after show? Well, that's a good question because no, I think again, that's like someone who, someone said to me once, uh, a theater owner, I won't say what city just to make it so I don't get in too much trouble here. But a theater owner said to me like, oh, people buy tickets wanting to come to this theater. And I was like, I mean, I don't think that's true. They buy tickets when there's a show in here they want to see. And if the theater is a great one, their experience is made even better. So I don't think you try to market production companies. Like no one, you know, companies are hard to market, right? They're really hard to build a brand around a company, especially in this business. I marketed the shows. And by marketing the shows, I was out in the forefront because I couldn't, I didn't have a marketing company. I didn't have a marketing, I didn't have anything. It was just me trying to figure out how to sell a couple hundred tickets a night. And we tried everything. And as I did that, I appeared in more interviews. I I sort of developed my own marketing style. And that's how 
not only my shows were marketed, but then people got to know me as well. I don't like to think of I marketed myself because no one likes to think of it that way. But that is what happened by me just putting myself out there and in that position and developing a certain style. What What is one of the most crazy, I know you've done all kinds of um, stunts and um, marketing campaigns over the years. What is one of the ones for your shows, uh, maybe even Awesome 80s Prom, that has stood out to you as being incredibly successful? The two marketing initiatives that I did that are at the top of my list are like extremes in size difference. So the first one was on my third show, my first time. And I was coming up with ways to get some buzz around this tiny show that was running four days a week. It had a budget of $180,000. We had like no advertising, um, no advertising budget. And I needed to get awareness, which is something that small shows struggle with a lot. Like how do we get awareness? So I remember thinking that when I created the show, because I wrote that show myself and I directed it, I remember thinking, who would be the best audience for this show? And I remember thinking, you know who should really see this show is virgins. Virgins should see this show. <laughs> because my first time, I should have said, is about exactly what, what you think it's about. And it's about people's first sexual experience. So I thought, well, people who haven't had that sexual experience should see this, frankly, to learn and to understand more about it in the hopes that they have a better one than most of the people that were featured in this show. So I had that thought and I kind of put it away. And then when I was trying to come up with a marketing idea for the show, I said, well, what if I let virgins get in free for the first show? And then, of course, I thought, how will I be able to tell if they were a virgin or not? And that's when we came up with the little, yeah, little cherry on top of the marketing uh, Sunday there, which is we hired a PhD in nonverbal communication, a master uh, mentalist who could tell if people were lying or not by analyzing handwriting, looking into their eyes, all sorts of things. And we did a press release saying that's what we were doing. And the thing just went global in a matter of like 48 hours. And it was all, it was on the homepage of CNN. I did television interviews like crazy. And the crown jewel of that was that Jay Leno did a joke about it in his monologue. So that took this little show and just blew it up all over the world. And we started to sell very, very well after that. And the other one was Godspell. And Godspell, what I did there was I crowdfunded. It, it was the first ever crowdfunded Broadway musical. Instead of the usual allotments for raising money of twenty five, fifty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000, I raised money in $1,000 increments, or actually the minimum was 1,000, but you can do them in $100 increments. And we had over 700 investors in that show. And that had never been done before. And the reason I did that was because Stephen Schwartz, when I asked him what Godspell was about, he said it was about a community of people coming together. And I tell you that, and now if you look at the two, they're very different, very different uh, initiatives. One huge a lot of lawyers, fundraising, like all that, and then one little press release and a mentalist, right? Two very different ideas. Godspell got us on the home uh, on the front page of the New York Times, like A1 as well. So both massive amounts of media exposure, priceless amounts. 
but all created in the same way. I thought about what the core message of the show was and developed a marketing initiative based on that. Who was the audience for my first time? Who did I believe deep down, I believe their lives would be better if they saw this show because they would make a more educated decision after seeing my first time. And Godspell, that's, it was about a community of people coming together. What better way to fund it than the largest community of investors and producers ever to literally have the business model and the artistic message marry up. So for those of you out there trying to come up with marketing initiatives to gain awareness on your show, don't think stunt first. Don't think stunt down. You got to think mission up, message first, and the marketing initiative comes second. So knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would do differently uh, from when you first started out? Oh, I would do so much differently. I try not to live in a world or a business of regret by any means. I am a constant like look forward uh, type of person. But there are two things that I, I did early that I advise a lot of people to do differently, which is one, believe it or not, I'm an introvert. I like to sit in front of a computer and solve a problem. So when faced with how am I going to build a career in the business, I stayed at home, stared at my computer, read books and created a show. Like that's what I did. I just like with no one else, right? Until I got into the rehearsal room. And I wish I had created more of a network of myself, of people like me when I started out. They were out there, but I was too shy, to be honest, to go meet them. And I should have done a much better job of trying to get out there and find communities, find masterminds, find all different types of people that wanted to do the same thing I did. The challenge here is that every time I did that and I got close to someone, they most people you know, aren't like us. So for all you watching out there that want to do big things, you're going to run into a lot of people that like you get excited about and then they're going to want to watch Netflix instead. Like that's that the good people are hard to find. So I um I didn't look hard enough. So I would build a much bigger community if I were doing it over and I I'm like catching up now. Um part of the reason I have all the things that I do, Theater Maker Studio, the Facebook groups, my blog, it's like to try to build the community I didn't build 10 years ago. And then the other thing that I would do differently is we hold our shows, our products, our things so near and dear to us that we are sometimes afraid to let them out or afraid to let people have them. And I think that's what I would do more. I would just put more shows out into the world and not be afraid of what people thought because the real learning and educational process in this business comes when you have a show on its feet in front of an audience. That's where you learn as a writer, as an actor, as a director, as a producer, it's like 10 times as fast as sitting in an office like the one I'm in now trying to learn something. It's why I encourage all the, the people that I consult with and advise, like get your first show up and out as fast as possible. It's so, so easy to be a perfectionist. <laughs> Yeah. And you just got to spit stuff out. And look, what I, what I try to remember and tell people is think about the most successful theater makers that you want to be like, and then like Google their resume, like look it up. I guarantee whatever that thing is, 
that you love so much, so much that made them a star, it wasn't their first, probably not their second, probably not their third. Like people have to get stuff out and learn. Even Lin-Manuel Miranda, our most successful theater maker in the modern era, Hamilton wasn't his first, right? Now, he had a pretty good one within the Heights, but he was, you know, he was doing Freestyle Love Supreme before that. He was doing all sorts of things before that. He was getting his work out there in the world. Passing and Paul, same thing. So as they say a lot in the business world, just ship. Develop a product and put it out in the world and let people's feedback be your graduate school. <laughs> I love that. You always say, um, was it build the plane while it's flying? It's kind of like that in a way. You just, you got to get something out there um, to get anything back. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I have a podcast myself and the most commonly uttered phrase from the most successful theater makers on that podcast is this. I didn't know what I was doing. That's what... The, these people have said along their journey, they didn't know, but they did it anyway. So I always say to people that if you ever find yourself in a, in a position where you say, I don't know what I'm doing, that's really good. <laughs> that's really good. Just make sure you do whatever that thing is. So one of the biggest leaps that I've taken recently is the step to hire my very first full-time employee. Um, and I was curious to hear from you, when did you know that you were ready to hire your first employee. And what do you look for in, in people that are going to work for you? I really didn't know I needed an employee. I thankfully had a stage manager running one of my shows who was a very close friend, actually introduced me to my wife as well. And one day she came over and she saw me running around like mad. I was working out of my apartment. I was like developing a bunch of shows. Awesome 80s Prom was running. Alter Boys was about to go. And she said to me, Ken, you need help. I'm going to send someone to help you. And it was one of the like, most unbelievable things anyone has ever done for me. And she found an assistant intern who started just interning and just running errands for me and walking my dog and doing things. And I started paying her, of course. And, and then all of a sudden I got through that moment of like, oh, wow, I can achieve more when I have help. And people like us, we can do a lot of things, but that doesn't mean we should do them all. And it actually hampers our growth if we do them all. And it's for, for entrepreneurs, it's very difficult early on when you're building your business to spend any money. Like you don't want, you're afraid the bottom is going to fall. I'm still afraid the bottom is going to fall out of my business. Like this is like we walk on this like fragile ground, it seems and so writing a check when to someone and you're like, but I could do that myself, but I could do that myself. It's just very hard to do. So, but the moment you do it, you're like, oh my gosh, this frees me up to do so much more. And it's the only way you can grow. I will never, ever forget. <clears throat> one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from you. We were on one of the Davenport theatrical retreats. I remember we were sitting in this kitchen. It was like six, six o'clock in the morning. And I was sitting there drawing coloring book pages for one of my very first companies, my curious custom coloring books. And you, I was drawing a motorcycle. I remember, and you walked in, you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you shouldn't be doing this. You need to hire somebody else to do the artwork. And of course I thought, but I'm the artist. I'm the only one who could do it, but it's not true. Now I haven't drawn a page in years. <laughs> it was the best advice 
I think I've ever gotten. <laughs> and look, people are never going to do it as well as you do it. They're not because they don't care as much. It's not their thing. But frankly, if they can do it at 70, 80% of what you can do it, which frees up the same amount of time for you to do something new, it's not only better for your growth, it's better for your happiness. Like I, the, I, I am sure, Monica, the reason I said that to you is I saw this look on your face like, ugh, ugh, just like total <laughs> unhappiness. And like, that's the thing. You know, it's like, we got to get rid of those things. Oh, so what advice would you give an entrepreneur, as I know you like to call them, who is taking the big leap to become an entrepreneur or maybe start their own business? Well, look, what's the worst that's going to happen? I mean, that's that's the real question. You're like, there's all this like, should I do this? Should I not? The most successful people out there in the world, whether they run tech companies or whether they are theater makers, they've all started stuff that hasn't worked. Like, at many points in their career, whether it's early or whether it's late, like just think about some of the movie flops you've seen by massive directors or massive stars. Like sometimes things don't just work out. So you have to ask yourself, what's the worst that could happen to me if I do this? If I just put this thing out there in the world, if I open an Etsy shop, if I write a book and self-publish it, if I announce that I'm going to do some personal training if I'm going to coach people, teach people piano, if I'm going to start a sourdough bread bakery, like what's the worst that's going to happen now? What's the best that could happen? And the answers to that question are so massive on any single one of those examples. Your personal training business could literally explode into the next Equinox, Right. Your sourdough bread company could be the next Panera bread company. Like you never know. You never know. But if you don't do something, there is a 100% guarantee that nothing will happen. Nothing. But if you just try one thing, you just never know. And a lot of people, I give, I give those examples a lot. Not Panera bread. That's actually new. But I give those examples a lot. <laughs> And people go, oh, come on, that is so unrealistic, except it happens. It happens to those people all the time. Every day, there are new businesses created that go on to be big successes. One of my favorites, I'm a Shark Tank fan, like most entrepreneurs out there, that damn scrub daddy. What the heck is that scrub daddy thing? That little thing you use like smiley face like scrubber that's like in every store every you know we have three you just never know so i urge people to just throw stuff out there and see what happens that's great advice so uh what are you working on now do you have any new businesses or i know you have some shows coming up yeah so look i have two primary missions i create and produce shows and then i try to help people create and produce shows like that's it that's it. I'm very focused now and that's all that I do. So we have four new musicals debuting in 2022. Harmony, a new musical by Barry Manilow and Bruce Sussman. A Beautiful Noise, the Neil Diamond musical. Broadway Vacation, the next installment in the Vacation movie franchise, but as a musical. And Joy. So that's going to occupy my 2022, <laughs> getting those shows up on their feet. And then the other thing I do is I'm a founder of the Theater Makers Studio. 
which is something that grew and focused and filtered from my blog that I started back in 2008, uh, that helps educate people to be able to create, develop, and get their shows out in the world and build careers as theater makers. And basically what the Theater Maker Studio is, it's like a masterclass community, uh, but for theater makers. And it's what I always dreamed about having when I was starting out. Like when I was banging my head against the wall, wondering why people won't read a script or what can I do to increase the odds of my success? Or how do I meet more people like me? Like I talked about about 20 minutes ago, I wanted the theater maker studio. So it's like my version of a dream house. Like I built the place that I want to live in where there's education and theater makers and networking and just passionate people who believe what I believe, which is quite simply this. I believe the world is a better place if there is more theater in it. There is only more theater in it if there are more theater makers making it. That's that's the mission. Well, if our listeners want to learn more about you, your shows, your businesses, where can they find you online? It's a very complicated domain name. It's kendavenport.com. That's that's simply it. Just throw my name in Google too. It should pop up. But kendavenport.com or on Instagram, a little more complicated, kendavenportbway. Fancy there. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Ken, so, so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you as always. <laughs> thank you for having me and good luck with the podcast. Thanks for listening to this conversation. This podcast is produced by Mary Dina and supported by Abby Martin. If you'd like to hear more from entrepreneurs in the entertainment space, download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so more entrepreneurs like you can find these conversations. And if you're in the entertainment industry, follow me all year long on Instagram and Facebook at Big Leap Brands. Until next time.